Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. We are kicking off a brand new teaching series, and we are calling it One Nation Under God. One nation under God. And, and, and you might be wondering, okay, where are we going with this, Pastor Josh? Well, well we are going to actually talk about the intersection of faith and politics. Yeah, we are going to go there. You're probably thinking, Pastor, don't go into the political sphere. Pastor, you don't want to get canceled. Don't start talking about faith and politics on a Sunday. But, but here's the deal. I think if there was ever a time to talk about faith and politics, it's now. If I think there was ever a time when the church needed to start having a good conversation about it, it is right now. And if you watched that presidential debate last week, you probably have a lot of questions and probably thinking, do we have any answers to these questions? So I think it is a great opportunity to talk about faith and politics because here's what I know and here's what I've seen. Politics has steamrolled its way into the church. I'm going to say that again. Politics has made some deep inroads into the church. So it behooves us to have this conversation. And so at the intersection of faith and politics, I'm going to put this big question out there, okay? Here's my my big proposition for all of you. Y'all ready for this? Okay, here we go. Can you evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith? rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics. That's what I'm going to be asking you to do over the next few weeks as we dive into this teaching series, One Nation Under God. I'm going to ask you one more time so you get that, okay? Can you evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? Politics. So for the next few moments, I'm going to talk to you on this thought, united we stand. United we stand. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the time that we have together to dive into your word. And Father, that's the goal today. We're not here to have a conversation, a conversation strictly about politics. We're here to preach Jesus, and we're here to make you known to everyone that is watching, and that's what we want to lead with today. So I just pray right now that you would cover me with your grace, cover me with your anointing, help me to speak, Lord God, as you would only want me to speak and not to say anything you wouldn't want me to say. And I pray for every listener right now that their hearts and their minds and their ears would be open and attentive to what you are saying to us. Fill our time together. Fill this space and place, Father. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, we're going to be talking about united we stand. If I had to think about my earliest exposure to politics, it would be all the way back to fifth grade. You might be thinking, Pastor Josh, you're young to go all the way back. Now, I'm older than you think, okay? I am 39 years old, and I don't look a year over 38. All right. Uh, but, but in fifth grade, that's when I had my earliest exposure to politics. I want to share with you how that went. We were studying U.S. history in the fifth grade, and it was an election year. 
Um, how many remember the election year when it was Bill Clinton running against George Bush Sr., the elder statesman Bush, all right? So it was Clinton running against George Bush. I'm going to really take you back right now. And there was actually a third person on the ticket. Yeah, y'all remember when there would be three people on the ticket? Uh, a guy by the name of Ross Perot. Man, I just took some of you back at home. And some of you too young to even know why I'm making a big old fuss about that. And I'm not even going to talk about Ross Perot. I'm not going to talk about his all the funny stuff that I remember. I'm just going to leave that alone. So much to say, but I ain't going to say it. Now, in, in fifth grade, there was this, this, this uh, uh, as we're learning all about the election, the teacher thought it would be a great idea to ask all my fifth grade students, if you could vote, who would you vote for? And so she asked, the, she asked the class that question. As I'm looking back now, my 39-year-old self, I'm thinking, why would you ask a bunch of fifth graders that question? But she thought it was a worthwhile endeavor. And so she asked, who would you vote for? And um, I remember being one of the only, if not the only person in the room that said, I'd vote for George Bush Sr. That's, uh, that was me, and I was one of the few. And, and, and the response that happened Again, this is my earliest exposure to politics. Right away, the teacher, she looks at me and she says, Josh, why would you vote for Bush? Are you only voting for him because your parents are voting for him? Let that sink in for a second. I am a young boy in the fifth grade, barely scratching politics. And the teacher thought it would be okay to actually use me as an example, really kind of picking on a student. Think about that for a second. My fifth grade self, not knowing much. She's like, are you just voting for Bush because your parents are voting for him? Can I, can I sidebar that? I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Parents, this is why you have got to be the loudest voice in the life of your child. Yeah, you, you cannot just send them to school and expect that your teacher is going to teach them all the things that you value. And so parents, it is your responsibility to be the loudest and the most influential voice in the life of your children. Your teacher, they are a voice, but make no mistake, they are not the voice. That is your responsibility. Okay. Now let, let me go back to this. Okay. So the teacher, she, she put me on blast in front of all the kids. And I, and I remember, like, feeling so humiliated in, in that moment. My fifth grade self just feeling so humiliated. And I wanted to say something. You know, I wanted to clap back. You know, had this been, like, 39-year-old Josh, I would have been clapping hard. But I'm in fifth grade. I'm just learning how to clap back, you know. And so I just look over and tell the person next to me, I said this. I said, if Clinton wins the election, I think my dad's going to lose his job. Hang about that for a second. My fifth grade self saying, if Clinton wins the election, I think my dad is going to lose his job. And the reason I said that is because my dad was in de- worked in defense contracting. And one of the big issues during that election was the defense budget and how much money the government was putting into defense budget and defense contracts. And Clinton was going to scale all that back. And I remember... Young enough to just hear this rhetoric and thinking that my dad's going to lose his job. And, and, and I'm, I'm allowing, watch this now, I am allowing fear to shape my politics. I'm allowing fear to drive how I feel about a political party. Now, I say all that to let you know that all these years later, nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has changed. The media peddles out fear. The media majors in fear. If it bleeds, it leads. And so 
I, I, my, my, my first experience to politics was just fear. And again, none of that's changed. And here's the reason why. Nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. Nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. We are so manipulated by fear. Here are some of the things you're hearing about this election. If the Republicans, the Republicans, if they win, all they want to do is take away your vote. The Republicans want to take away your vote. The Democrats, they want to take away your guns. If this person is elected, we'll go to war. If this person is elected, they're going to persecute the church. And it is fear, 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 fear. It's dripping, dripping, dripping. And these are the narratives that are shaping our political views. Fear. So what's the church to do when the media in the world is trying to shape our political view? And even which, again, that matters because it's steamrolling into the church now that those political views are are coming into the church now. And you got brothers and sisters fighting on Facebook, brothers and sisters fighting on Instagram, brothers and sisters fighting on the street, brothers and sisters not getting along because of all that fear. So, so how does the church respond? Well, first John 418 says this, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. It goes on to say, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So our faith-filled response to fear is love. That's a good thing that you should be writing now. For those of you that are taking notes at home, I want you to write that down. Our faith-filled response to fear is love. So what I want to do is take you on this journey now, having said all that, told you about my emotional fifth grade experience to take you on this journey now of how love and faith should be the filter of our politics. Not fear. No, 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 no. Love and faith should be our filter. And it's actually Jesus' Jesus's prayer to the Father that we are responsible for answering. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus had one final prayer to the Father. One final prayer. We're going to get into that. And the answer to that prayer is us. We, the church, have the capacity to answer Jesus' final prayer to the Father. Let's go there. John chapter 17, verse 1. I'm going to be working out several verses here in John chapter 17. Verse 1 says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. Here's the setting. Jesus is back in Jerusalem, and this is the last time that he comes into Jerusalem to be crucified, and a Passover meal has just happened. They've just had the last supper in the upper room. He's now gone to the Garden of Gethsemane with his 11 disciples. Judas dipped out. He was on his way to betray Jesus. And uh, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he is praying. And this is his final prayer before he is about to be crucified. And he's making this request known to the Father. Father, the hour has come. This, this was the moment that, that Jesus knew his purpose was leading him to this moment. And as he's praying this prayer, I want you to get this now. The Bible records that he is bleeding out of his sweat glands. This is the medical term called hemohydrosis. And, and he is bleeding now out of his sweat glands because this is the level of stress that he was under. And this is the level of anguish that he's feeling in the garden of Gethsemane. So with that in mind, let's go to verse 11. It says, I will remain in the world no longer. 
okay? I'm, I'm leaving now. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. I'll say that again. But they, who is they? They is the 12 disciples and all the early Jesus followers. And so he says, they are going to remain in the world. So now we know who he's talking to. What does he say about them? Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them. Who is them? The they, the 12 disciples and the early Jesus followers. He's saying, now, Father, I want you to protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me. The reason he prays that prayer of protection is because he knows what awaits them. He knows that every disciple, with the exception of John, is about to suffer a horrific death. Many of the early Christian followers, the early Jesus followers, were martyred. They were rounded up, executed, martyred for their belief in Jesus. And this is why Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I want you to protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me, and he goes on to say, so that, so that, protect them, so that. Let's flesh that out. They may be one as we are one. Jesus is talking about the oneness that he has with his father. We are united together. We are one. If you've seen me, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he's saying, I want for my, my, my early believers, my, my 12 disciples and all these early church followers, I need them to be one because I know what's coming their way. Persecution is coming. Suffering is coming. They're going to scatter. And the only way they're going to survive the hardships of their time is if they are united. The only way these disciples and the early Jesus followers are going to make it through this persecution, this intense persecution, is if the early church believers, the early church disciples would be one. Now, saying all that, let's go to verse 20. Jesus says this, my prayer is not for them alone, not just for the 12. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So, so now he shifts the focus. He's first talking about the disciples. And now he says, I want to pray for those who will believe in me through their message. So this is who he's talking about. You and I. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell them, you and I. Now he's talking about us because we are they who have come to faith because of their message. The disciples continued to preach. The disciples continued to make Jesus famous. In spite of the persecution, they did not cower. They did not back down. They continued to preach Jesus and to preach Jesus crucified. And because they continued to preach Jesus, we stand here today. We have this same hope and the faith that they have because we have heard their message. Not only have we heard their message, but we have believed their message. And because we have believed their message, we have that same anointing. We have that same authority. We have that same power. It is the same message that Jesus spoke to Peter and to James and to John and to Paul. It's that same message that has been handed to us. Do you know that your faith goes all the way back to Jesus? This isn't some new revelation that someone found under a tree. This isn't some new revelation, some new wind. This, it's not some new wind of doctrine that has just arrived. Our faith goes all the way back to the teachings of Jesus. Come on now. That is a powerful thing to know that our faith handed 
to us contains the very same faith. It is the very same instruction that Jesus gave down to his followers. So now Jesus is praying for you and I. Did you know that? See yourself in that text because he's talking about you. He says, I'm now praying, I am now praying for them. And he goes on to say this, I pray that they will all, come on, tell your neighbor all. Type that into the comment section. Type that in. Type in all. Because who he's talking about is every single person who has put their faith in Jesus. Whether it's Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white, it doesn't matter. In Jesus' time, it would be slave or, or the, the, those who own slaves. It didn't matter what the diversity is. When Jesus is saying all, he's talking about everyone in the church. This, this beautiful bride of Christ, this church that is scattered all throughout our continent and through all the other continents. We have brothers and sisters in the faith that are in, in Europe and in the Middle East and in Africa and South America, all of us. He's saying, I want them all to be one. Don't, don't just think about this as your youth group. Don't just think about this as your church, Lighthouse Church. Don't just think about the, what he is saying to your local little world. He's talking about the entire church. The body of Christ distributed throughout the world. He said, I want them all, continuing on, he says, I want them all to be one. I pray that they will all be one. See, what Jesus was saying and what his prayer was is that in spite of our differences, and let's go there now, in spite of our political views, we would be one. Whether you vote red or blue, You've got to be one. Republican, Democrat, independent. You've got to be one. His prayer and the gospel that was subsequently preached by all of the followers of Jesus was preached under this banner right here. Colossians 3.14. That we would be bound together by the bonds of love. Let me read that to you. Paul says, above all. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. I love that visual, bound. Bound. You ever been stuck to something you wish you weren't stuck to? Maybe you got stuck in an elevator with someone you didn't really want to be stuck to. Maybe you got stuck on a road trip with someone you really didn't want to be stuck with. Maybe you got stuck at a job with a coworker that you were like, oh, man, I don't want to be in this shift with them. I, I, I wish I wouldn't have to be working with them at this time. I kind of get that visual of being bound. But Paul says it's a bond of love. It's this, this bond that brings people together of different race and nationality and political views. And I'm going to bring it all together. And I want you to live in perfect harmony. So let's go back to what I talked about earlier. The casting out of fear begins with all of Jesus' followers saying this. My love for you is greater than your differences. My love for you is greater than your economic status. My love for you is greater than how you vote. Yes, Republican, you gotta love that Democrat, and Democrat, you gotta love that Republican too. My love for you will not fight. You know, you and I aren't gonna fight. As a matter of fact, if we do fight, there's only one thing we're gonna fight over. We are gonna fight over our love towards one another. We are going to make sure that nothing gets between us and nothing divides us. I don't know if you know this, but kings and kingdoms have passed. And Republican and Democrat in the history, in the, in the very brief history of our nation, the United States of America, there have been more political parties than just Republican and Democrat. Look at that. There, there's other parties. But, but for some reason, 
We've got brought to this point that there's only two. And depending on where you're at, you're not supposed to get along with the other person. And we've allowed that to migrate its way into the church. And we've got churches fighting with each other, bickering with each other, behaving uh, one towards another in a way that is completely opposite of Jesus's final prayer. Let's go back to John 17. I want to read some more because he's saying, okay, we're reading here that we've got to be bound together by love. Let's read what Jesus says. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, watch what it says here, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus was saying this. If your bond of love would be so great, everyone would know who Jesus is, and they would put their faith in him. Imagine that for a second. It's it's not our colorful preaching that is going to make them know. It's not our production that's going to make somebody know. It's not even our outreach and our evangelism that's going to make someone know. You could do all of that, but if you ain't got love for one another, that's the one thing that Jesus said you've got to have. You've got to have love towards one another because if you have that love for one another, that's going to show the world that there's something different about the church. That every time we gather, normally I'd say every Sunday that we gather, but, you know, we're in COVID season and we don't gather every Sunday. But, but imagine that for a second, that there is a time and a place where people from opposite political views can come and sit next to each other and worship God together and not side-eye each other, and not fight with one another, but we are united by this common belief that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and he died on a cross to forgive us of our sins, but he rose up out of a grave to gift us with eternal life. And and, and when we can do that, we begin to demonstrate to the world, yo, this is how it's supposed to be. Right here, right, right here. Not that fighting, not that bickering, not not all that nastiness that you see on the media, not all that nastiness that you see on social media. And, And this is what really was the distinguishing mark of the early church. What set the early church apart was this right here. It was Jew and Gentile coming together because of Jesus. It was the slave and the slave owner showing love towards one another because Jesus demanded it. It was all the people in the early church, caring for one another and making sure that no one went without because they had love towards one another. So the church and the early Jesus followers, I want you to get this right now. They became an irresistible force. How irresistible? Rome fell and the church didn't fall. How irresistible? Kings and kingdoms have fallen and the church is still here. How is how irresistible nations are gone and don't even exist anymore. And the church is still here. Have you ever thought about that for a second? We've outlasted so many things. I think that's because Jesus declared that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But but what made the church an irresistible force had nothing to do with politics and it had everything to do with this simple concept and yet this powerful concept of love. They loved each other. They didn't all agree. 
They weren't of the same backgrounds. They weren't of the same race. They weren't of the same socioeconomic status, but they agreed to love one another. Now contrast that with the church today, fighting over political systems that are temporary. (laughs) Do you know the church is going to outlive Republican Party? The church is going to outlive the Democratic Party, and yet we're going to fight over a temporary system when God has called us to an eternal home to live together? Come on now, think about that for a second. Why are we fighting over temporary systems? Why are we hating people over a temporary system? Why are we fighting with people over that? And why are we bringing that into the church? When I think about the church today, does the world see us and say, my God, y'all got something special? Or do they look at us and say, you know, I got my own problems. I don't know if I want your problems too. Because the early church was an irresistible force. It grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And they were bound by the bonds of love. John 17, goes on to say, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Here it is one more time. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And I think about that. I think about how the disciples took that message, that group of Jesus followers, they took that message and they began to live it out. Here's just a few things that they did. They were, they were united in the purpose of making disciples. There was nothing more important to the disciples than making other disciples, making other people followers of Jesus. They were united in that purpose. They were united in the message of Jesus. Jesus was their message. Listen to me now. Uh, there was no other person that was their message. The, the, the king was not their message. Your president, whoever you want him to be, is not your message. Jesus is your message. The church preached the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's our message. That's the one thing that we should unite behind. And lastly, they were united under one command, the command of love. They were united and they lived out this command, love one another. It's that so much. Just love each other. But we, but we come from different parts of the world. Love each other. But we don't vote the same. Love each other. But, but we're on different spectrums when it comes to equality and our perception of it. Love each other. But, but, but we're on different ends of the spectrums when it comes to people who don't believe like us. Love each other. That's all he's saying. Love each other. Could, could you do that? Could you not behave like the world and, and behave like my followers and just show love? As I said a minute ago, the church has outlasted civilizations. The church has, has outlasted governments. The church has outlasted kingdoms. We're still here, y'all. <laughs> the church is still here. But I fear that we're allowing unnecessary things to divide the church. United we stand, but divided we could fall. Divided? We're not being the answer to Jesus' prayer. So, over the next few weeks, I, I want that to be your lens. That, 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 let that be your filter. Faith and love. I, I want that to be your filter because it's going to get nasty, y'all. <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat it, okay? It's going to get rough. I mean, the president got COVID and people were just wishing he'd die. Um, 
yeah, that's just kind of the state of humanity right now. People are like, he's better off dead. Just I wish he would die. And uh, that's tough, but that's just where we are. Can we be different? Can we be better? Can, can we be a part of the solution and not contribute to the problem? Can, can we rise above all of that? Can, can, can we be the church? Can, can we be united? Can we not argue like others? I think we can. So, so here's what I want you to do. The next few weeks, you're going to see it. It's going to get testy. Climate's going to change. W- would you just pray this prayer with me? I'm praying this prayer every day, and I'd love for you to do the same. It, it's a very, very simple prayer. It just says this. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Let's resist the urge to tear each other down, and let's resist the urge to tear each other apart over a temporary political party. Let's be one so that the world will know Jesus is our hope and heaven is our future. Come on, let's take a moment and pray right there where you're at. Father, I thank you for this time that I have with everyone that is watching in, wherever they're watching from. And I know this is a different kind of message, but I pray, Father, that this would recalibrate us. I I pray that this would help us see that we could be the answer to your final prayer, that, that we can have a role in uniting the church while, while the world is dividing itself, while the world is bunkering down into their political foxholes. We don't, have to be, we don't have to behave like that. We don't have to treat each other like that. But we in the church are going to be an example of oneness, an example of unity, an example of love towards one another that we refuse to go there because the world went there. And we refuse, Father, to allow that to come into your church. We refuse any division inside of your body. And so, Father, I just pray that over the next few weeks we would continue to meditate on this. Make us one so that we could influence many. Unite the church so we can impact the world. Father, in your name we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.